Hello everyone, um, my name's Cara, I'm also a third year engineering student um, and I'll be reading God's Word for us today so you can follow along with me in your little booklet. Um, we're reading Revelation 8 and 9. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and held it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Then the seven angels who had, set, who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The, the fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the, like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts look like horses prepared for battle. On their heads they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails with stingers like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name is he in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek is Apollyon, that is, destroyer. The first woe is past, the other two woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the altar of the, of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound to the 
at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes, having heads with which they inflict injury. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not, still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone and wood, idols that cannot see nor hear nor walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality or their thefts. Thanks, Cara. Quite a lot going on in that reading, isn't there? Um, my name is Ben, and I'm one of the staff workers here at CU. And it, today we're starting a new series looking at the book of Revelation that we'll be doing for these next six weeks over the rest of semester. And what a way to start it off. Uh, Revelation is the last book of the Bible, and it's the subject of many conspiracy theories. Uh, you can find stuff like this all over the internet, uh, the hidden number codes of Revelation and World War Three. Freemasonry exposed. Uh, Revelation is often seen as this kind of cryptic uh, code book telling us about World War Three or giving us exact dates based on star signs uh, for when uh, China is going to invade Russia or something like that, or warning us against getting microchips in our hands. And some of this stuff is pretty crazy, but on one level you can kind of understand it because in that reading there, it's pretty hard to know what's going on sometimes, isn't it? But for those of us who were here last year when we went through Revelation chapters 1 to 7 last year in public meeting, we saw that the book of Revelation is not, uh, is definitely not some code book predicting future world events in the distant future, but it's actually a letter that was written to specific Christians living at a specific time and place in around 90 AD. In Revelation 1.4, at the start of the book, it says, John, that's who it's from, the Apostle John, one of the early church leaders, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Then it goes on to name and address these seven churches living in the Roman province of Asia. You can see them there highlighted in red, part of modern-day Turkey. Uh, places like Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum. Uh, these are real towns with real people in them. And the Christians in these churches were facing very real challenges that this letter was written to address. They were facing persecution under the Roman Emperor Domitian, facing opposition for their faith, even to the point of death. And so the Apostle John writes them this letter of Revelation. So picture this situation. The Apostle John is sitting there. He knows there are these churches in these nearby towns that are really struggling. They're getting persecuted by the Roman Empire. And he thinks, what do these people need right now? These Christians who are struggling. What's going to encourage them in the midst of hardship and persecution that they're facing? And he thinks, aha, I know what they need. They need to know about when World War III is going to happen. (laughs) 
They need to know about microchips and some future country, uh, China and Russia, being at war. Why don't I write a secret code book for them? Now, it sounds uh, silly, doesn't it? Uh, Because that's not at all what John is doing. Rightly so, it sounds far-fetched, because um, the letter of Revelation is not a secret code book, but it's rather a letter written to help people in the present who are facing hardship. The word revelation that simply means revealing. That's, that's all it means. A revelation is a revealing of something. And the book of Revelation is one big revealing of God's perspective of reality. To help Christians see things from a God's eye view. To see the sufferings and trials and challenges of this present life, not just the distant future, although there are elements of Revelation that help us know about the future, but to see the challenges of the present and the past and the future, all of life, the way God does. That's what the Christians being persecuted by the Roman Empire in 90 AD needed. Not a code book about the future, but to see the present from a new perspective. Because from a human perspective, the situation of these guys looked pretty bleak. I mean, think about the the Christians who are getting persecuted in North Korea right now. It'd be a similar situation. The oppressing power, whether it's the North Koreans or the Romans, have all the cultural, political and military power. This, This small group of Christians, they look powerless. But from God's perspective, things look very different. From God's perspective, it's actually the Christians in the end who will triumph because They've united themselves to Jesus, the conquering lion and lamb who holds the keys of history. So the Christians back then needed to see reality from a God's eye view. And we need that today, don't we? Facing very different challenges, facing very different temptations. And yet we too, today here in the 21st century Australia, need to see all of life from a God's eye view. So if you've got a Bible or handout in front of you, let's look together at Revelation chapters 8 and 9 and see what it has to teach us and how it helps us to see things from God's perspective. Now, as we jump in, we've got to remember that even as we had that reading and and all those things were read out that seemed pretty perplexing, what we're reading there is what John is seeing in a vision. It's not describing uh, literal things as they're actually happening. It's describing a vision that John is having, things that he's seeing. So there are a lot of symbols and images. Um, And so let's have a look at some of the imagery here. Have a look with me in your Bibles or handouts at Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 to 5, and have a closer look at what's going on. It says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer, with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in the front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Okay, so there's a lot going on here in these verses. And first up, we're introduced to this seventh seal. What's this talking about? What's going on? Well, back in Revelation chapter 5, 
we were introduced to a scroll sealed with seven seals. Think of like a wax seal that that people use to seal letters or people used to. And that scroll represented something. In this vision, that scroll represents God's unfolding plan of history, of redemption, of salvation, of judgment. And in Revelation chapter 6, as the seals of that scroll are opened one by one, if you've got a Bible in front of you, you can see this happening in Revelation chapter 6. As the seals are opened one by one, John gets this vision of, of what life is like for humanity between the first and second comings of Jesus. As the seals are opened, uh, we see war, conflict, famine and plague. Uh, Things that are sadly actually pretty common, aren't they? Living in the fallen world that we now live in. It's not about some distant future thing. It's describing what we now see around us, what we experience in the present. That's what happens as as the first four seals are opened. uh, Conflict, war, famine and plague. And then when the fifth seal is opened, check out what John sees. This is Revelation 6, verses 9 to 11. It says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. It's talking about Christian martyrs, people who have been killed for their faith. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true? until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. And each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. So under the altar, John is seeing in this vision these slain Christians. And what are they praying? What's what's the, the content, the subject matter of their prayer to God? God, how long? How long until you make things right? How long until you return and avenge us, those who have mercilessly killed us? But they're told to wait. Not yet, God says, not yet. So keep that in mind, because that's in Revelation 6 as the seals are being opened. Then when we come to Revelation chapter 8, the last seal is broken. And what happens? Silence. For half an hour. So much climactic things were happening right up to that moment and then deafening silence. You can just imagine everyone waiting. What's going to happen? And then we're told. Verse 2. Seven angels given seven trumpets. And then before we're told what happens when these trumpets are blown, uh, that continues in verse 6. Before we're told what happens with the trumpets, look what happens uh, from verse 3. We're introduced to an, uh, an angel with a golden censer, which is like a um, little smoky pot chain thing that you would use in religious ceremonies that has like incense in it. The angel comes to the altar, which remember is the same place where we saw these slain Christians. And we're told the incense goes up before God with the prayers of God's people. And so that prayer, that prayer for justice comes up before God. And how does God answer their prayer in verse 5? What happens? The angel takes a censer, fills it with fire and hurls it down on the earth. The prayer of God's people for God to judge the earth is now being answered. That's what the seven trumpets represent. God's judgment on those who have opposed him and his people. 
Now, we don't have time to unpack every verse in detail of what we had read out. But I think if we want to understand what's going on with these seven trumpets, we've got to understand three key things. You can see it there in your outline if you've got one of the handouts. Three key things. Firstly, they are symbolic depictions of real judgment. So imagine I was describing the recent state election to you and I said, man, the Labour Party absolutely decimated the Liberals. It was a bloodbath. And someone responded, wait, wait, what? They, they actually took one of every 10 Liberal Party members and killed them? What kind of state election was this? This is insane. Now, what would you say to that person? You say, no, 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 you've missed the point. You've missed the metaphor. Uh, we didn't mean they actually decimated them in a literal sense. And maybe they'd say, well, that's silly. Why do you use a metaphor then? That's confusing. But it's not confusing. As soon as I said the Labour Party decimated the Liberals, you knew exactly what I was talking about, didn't you? If you followed the state election at all. Because you knew the context. In the context, it's clear that the Liberals weren't literally executed in the background of the way we use that language. And the reason we use metaphors and symbols all the time is that they're powerful. They communicate much more vividly. It's much more vivid to say, wow, they decimated them. And it's a similar idea when we come to Revelation. It uses a lot of symbols and metaphors to communicate. The only problem is, because we don't know our Old Testaments very well, and as well as the original recipients of Revelation would have, we're often unfamiliar with the context. And so we often end up committing that same thing and going, whoa, they literally killed them? We, we tend to read things in Revelation often, literally, when we shouldn't. So have a look, for example, at Revelation chapter 8, verse 10. This is uh, the third trumpet being described. It says, The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on the third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters, waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. I think we tend to read that and think, whoa, what a star is literally going to fall on the earth? But how does that even work? A star is bigger than the earth. Wouldn't it destroy the whole earth? And how is it going to fall on a third of the rivers? It, it, all the third of the rivers aren't in one place. How could even a big comet do It just doesn't make any sense. And it's like, well, yeah, we shouldn't be taking it literally. There's a context to this. We're missing the point if we read it that way. And so in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 14, for example, the image of a star falling from, uh, from heaven to the earth is used to describe the fall of Babylon, one of the powerful empires of the ancient world. So in Isaiah 14, from verse 3, it's speaking to Israel and it says, On the day the Lord gives you Israel, for context, Israel was, was persecuted and oppressed by the Babylonians, just like Christians were uh, oppressed by the Romans. It says, On the day the Lord gives you relief from your suffering and the turmoil and the harsh labour forced on you by the Babylonians, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. How the oppressor has come to an end. How his fury has ended. The Lord has broken the rod of the wicked, the scepter of rulers, which in anger struck down peoples with unceasing blows and in fury subdued nations with relentless aggression. So here, uh, Babylon is pictured. They've got this big stick. They're whacking all these other nations, oppressing them. And it says God is going to save Israel from them by judging Babylon. And then in verse 12, still talking about Babylon, it says, 
How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. Now, is this talking about a literal star actually falling to the earth? No, it's talking about a strong and lofty empire being defeated, which is something that literally happened in history. Babylon was actually defeated by the Assyrians and thrown down to the earth and no longer could oppress other people. But you can see Revelation is picking up that language of a star falling from heaven to describe a real thing. So just because it's symbolic doesn't mean it has no reference to reality. It's describing a real thing but in the symbolism and imagery of the Old Testament. So in Revelation 8, uh, 10 to 11, it's talking about real things that happen, about nations and empires being overthrown and coming to a bitter end. But it's describing it using symbols and metaphors, drawing on the Old Testament that was the common background that they had. So that's just one example. I wish we had more time to unpack a lot of individual examples from Revelation 8 and 9. But hopefully you get the idea. The seven trumpets, if we've got to understand what they're talking about, they are symbolic depictions of real judgment. That's the first thing we've, uh, we've got to grasp. Uh, but secondly, those judgments are targeted against those who oppose God and his people. Because you see, Revelation does describe some things, some hardships that are experienced by all people on the earth, whether they're Christian or not. So the seven seals back in chapter six, for example, when they talk about the the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which are symbolic of real war, conflict, famine and plague happening. Well, those are things that affect all people on the earth, don't they? COVID-19 doesn't discriminate based on your religious identification. Conflict, famine, war, all people are affected by that. Christians, Muslims, atheists, doesn't matter. That's what the seven seals in chapter 6 were describing. But the seven trumpets are depicting judgment that is not experienced by Christians, by God's people, but rather that is targeted against those who oppose God and his people. And we know that uh, because, remember the context, these trumpets are an answer to the prayers of God's people against those who have slain them and who have oppressed them. But also have a look at this. Have a look in your handouts with me at Revelation 9, verses 1 to 4. We get another indication of who these judgments are against. Chapter 9, verses 1 to 4. It says, The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. Notice that similar language happening again. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke of a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now notice that, these, these locusts, which often in the Old Testament are symbolic of soldiers, of this mighty throng of an army coming, are told that they can only harm those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now this is not talking about a literal seal. It's not talking about putting hot wax on your head so that you'll be spared from God's judgment. It's not talking about putting an aquatic mammal on your head so that you'll be safe when the trumpets are sounded. And it's not talking about a microchip either. No, again, we've got to go back to the Old Testament context. 
Again, I wish we could do this in more depth, but if you go back on your own and, and read Ezekiel chapter 9, if you read the whole of it, Ezekiel chapter 8 to 10, Ezekiel's been giving this vision of God's people. And in that vision, everyone who truly worships God is marked with a seal on their foreheads, which means that they'll be spared from God's judgment. So when Revelation talks about the seal of God being on their foreheads, it's not talking about a seal of wax or something. It's a symbolic way of talking about those who truly worship God. And we see here in Revelation 9 that those who truly worship God are exempt from these judgments. So that's the second thing that we've got to see. Firstly, these are symbolic depictions of real judgment. Secondly, they're targeted against those who oppose God and his people. And thirdly, these are not depicting the final judgment that will come at the end of history, but are rather a warning to repent before that final judgment comes. And it's important to be clear on this because these trumpets, when you read them, they sound pretty end of the world-y, don't they? They sound pretty, oh, it's all over, pretty catastrophic. Stars falling from the earth, surely that's everything falling apart. But remember, this is symbolic imagery. A star falling from the earth doesn't mean the universe is being wiped out. It means that nations are being overthrown. And sure, the, the fall of a nation is a catastrophic event, but it's the kind of thing that's happened all the time throughout history, hasn't it? It's not an end of the world kind of thing. And we know the trumpets are not the final judgment because of what we read in verses 20 to 21. Have a look in your handouts with me. 20 to 21, the very last verses there. Look what it says. All these judgments come. And then it says, even after all of this, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. Not stop worshipping demons, idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone and wood, idols that cannot see, hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, magic arts, sexual immorality or their thefts. So here we see that even as the judgments fall, there is still time to repent. Now the word repent, I mean, it sounds like a bit of a religious word, but it simply means to repent means to turn. To turn away from sin, from living for ourselves and to turn to God and, and this is saying that these trumpets, even as they happen, there is still opportunity, there is still time to turn back to God, to turn away from living for ourselves and live for him, to trust in Jesus. And that means that th- these trumpets can't be the final judgment because when the final day of judgment comes, there will be no more opportunity to repent. It's this life, this is the life that God has given us to turn back to Jesus. So here's a key question then. Well, when do these trumpets happen? If they're not describing God's final judgment on the last day, when will the judgments depicted by these trumpets take place? Well, the answer is they've already begun. They've already begun. Remember what we saw earlier. Revelation is not about predicting future world events in the far off, but is rather about helping God's people see all of history, past, present and future, from a God's eye view The trumpets have already begun to sound, even now. As Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, notice it doesn't say that the wrath of God will be revealed, although it could have said that, because in a sense that's also true. It says it is being revealed, present tense, right now. So what the trumpets are showing us is that even before the final judgment comes, 
Even right now, God's wrath is being revealed, not yet in full measure, but only in part. But it's also showing us that as the time draws closer to that final day of judgment, the trumpets, you see an escalation from the first four trumpets to the next three. It pictures that there is going to be an increasing manifestation of God's judgment on this sinful world before Jesus comes again. But that even while that happens, even as we see things around us, war, famine, plague, nations being overthrown, even as that happens, there is still time to repent. Now, here's the thing, you know, you read a chapter like this and it's pretty heavy, isn't it? All this talk about wrath and judgment. You might be thinking, man, God sounds kind of mean. So much wrath and warnings and judgment. Why is God so mean? But here's the thing. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. If God was mean, why do you think he would give all these warnings? If God really loved judging, why wouldn't he just judge? Why wouldn't he just bring the final judgment right now? Oh, yes, I've just been looking forward to crushing these little ants. If that's what God is like, why wouldn't he do it? Why would he give all these advance warnings? And the answer, of course, is that God warned us about judgment like he does here in Revelation 8 and 9 because he wants us to turn and be saved. And so every time you see in the Bible God giving warnings of judgment, don't read that and think, wow, God is mean. Think, wow, God is merciful. God doesn't want me to face this. He wants me to turn to him and be saved. In Ezekiel 33:11, Ezekiel's a book with a with a fair amount of warnings about judgment in it. This is what God says. Ezekiel 33:11, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? He's pleading with them to turn, to repent, to come back to him. God doesn't warn us because he wants to judge us. He warns us because he doesn't want to judge us. Warnings of judgment are not a sign that God is mean. Warnings of judgment are a sign that God is merciful. And that's what we see in the seven trumpets here. He doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. He wants us to turn back to him He wants us to put our trust in Jesus before it's too late and be saved. So that's what the seven trumpets are about. Uh, They're symbolically depicting God's very real judgment against those who are opposed to him. Not just in the future, but even now as a warning shot across the bow. A call to repent and turn before it's too late. But what does that actually mean for us today? It's an important question to ask. But to answer it rightly, first we've got to ask what it meant for God's people back then. Because remember, Revelation wasn't written first and foremost to 21st century people in Australia, but rather for churches around 90 AD who were suffering persecution at the hands of the Roman Empire. So we've got to ask What did it mean for them? What was the significance? Why did they need this revelation? Why did they need this revealing of the seven trumpets to see things from a God's eye view? Well, remember, as we saw in Revelation 6, 
But these trumpets were an answer to the prayers of God's people who were being slain, saying, how long, O Lord, until you avenge those who have killed us? Now, it's a bit hard to imagine what this would be like. I certainly find that to be the case. So let's do a little thought experiment for a moment. Picture in your mind your church. Picture your Sunday gathering, if you're a Christian and if you have a church that you go to. Uh, Picture your Sunday gathering. You're there on a a Sunday morning or evening or whenever it is. Uh, Picture the people that you know from your your small group, whatever, coming in and out. You're getting ready uh, to come together to hear God's word and worship him. Picture that scene. Have you got that picture in your mind? And then think that as the church service is just starting, a group of men coming in with machetes and AK-47s who then come in and murder dozens of the people in your church in cold blood before fleeing and getting away with it. Now, it's hard to imagine that happening to you and the people in your church, isn't it? It's hard for me to imagine that. And yet that's exactly what some Nigerian churches have faced even this very year. That exact thing has happened to them. Imagine you're gathering for church in the foyer. The service is about to start when suddenly a bomb goes off, ripping people to shreds in a moment of horror. Men, women and children. Hard to imagine, but that's what many Christians in Indonesia, in Sri Lanka and other countries have had to face time and time again in recent years. And in fact, dozens of countries around the world today, not to mention throughout history, this is the reality that so many Christians face. That's what Christians were facing at the hand of the Roman Empire. And they're crying out, how long, O Lord? How long will you let this go on? How long before you bring them to justice? We're being mistreated and killed. God, when are you going to do something about it? And suddenly when you think about it from that perspective, it changes the way you read Revelation 8 to 9, doesn't it? It changes your perspective. Suddenly when you view Revelation 8 to 9 from that perspective, it's not hard to see why they needed this revelation, is it? That God is comforting them and reminding them that, yes, he sees. He sees the persecution they've suffered. He knows their hardship and he will make it right again. That he will answer their prayers. He'll bring judgment on those who've oppressed them. So why did God's people back then need this revelation, this vision of the seven trumpets? Well, it's a comfort. It's a reminder that God has not forgotten. That God knows what they've suffered and he'll make it right again. So they can keep trusting him, keep looking to Jesus, even in the midst of the pain. And if that's true for them back then, then it's true for us today as well, isn't it? For us who are not facing things nearly as, as, as hard as some of them were facing. Not facing the same kind of outright persecution. But there are all kinds of ways that many of us have, been, have suffered and been wronged and mistreated. And these chapters are a comfort, a reminder that God has not forgotten you. That God knows what you've suffered and he'll make it right again. So keep trusting him. Keep looking to Jesus, even in the pain. For God's people back then, Revelation 8 to 9, the trumpets were a comfort. But they're also a warning, aren't they? As we saw in Revelation chapters 2 to 3 last year, God's people weren't just victims of the world. They were also tempted by the world. They were tempted to follow the ways of this world because it would mean less suffering, it would mean less hardship, it would be more comfortable. 
It'd be so much easier to turn their backs on Jesus and follow the ways of this world. So these trumpets are a trumpet blast, a warning saying, don't, don't turn your back on Jesus. Don't follow the ways of this world. Don't opt for what seems like the easy option. Don't turn your back on Jesus. Yes, following Jesus now is hard, but it'll be worth it in the end. The seven trumpets show us that God's judgments are real and they are serious. Because God's people back then needed that reminder to see things from a God's eye view. And that's what we need today too, don't we? Because from a human perspective, the way of this world looks pretty good. If you ignore Jesus and follow the world, you can fit in rather than standing out and being different. If you turn your back on Jesus, you can play around with sex and alcohol as much as you like. You can live for money, live for career, live for yourself, rather than living for others like Jesus did. It can look pretty attractive, far more comfortable. But the seven trumpets remind us that while that might look more comfortable and attractive, it is not. The world might promise so much, but in the end, it will fail, us, fail to deliver. These trumpets show us that in the end, it does not go well for those who turn their back on the God who loves them and the God who made them. These trumpets are a warning, a shot across the bow, to trust in Jesus and him alone. So if you're a Christian here today, struggling along and feeling the temptation of this world, keep going. Keep trusting in Jesus. Keep persevering. And if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, please turn to him and find life. The hardships we see in this world are a warning, a shot across the bow, because God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that we turn to him and live. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, thank you for for giving us the Bible, for giving us your word so that we can see things from your perspective. Father, we admit that um, from, from where we are today, not being as familiar with Old Testament imagery, Revelation can seem pretty confusing. But Father, over these next six weeks, as we look at it together, even if there are some things that we can't understand, I help us to grab hold onto the things that we can understand. I thank you that you long for us to come to Jesus and be saved. For those of us here today who are trusting in Jesus, Lord, help us to persevere. And for those who aren't, Lord, may we see Jesus for who he is and come to him and find life. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. All right, well, that's it for public meeting today. We're going to hang around for a bit and chat. If there's stuff that uh, talk has raised for you or the passage has raised for you, feel free to chat to each other. Feel free to come chat to me afterwards. And next, uh, maybe in 10, 15 minutes, a bunch of us will probably head over to the ref and, and keep chatting and having a good time. So we'll catch you around.